Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of the End Time Blog Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Prada, and today I am talking about loyalty, an almost forgotten value. How often do we hear that word these days, loyalty? Not so much. How often do we see it displayed these days? Probably even less. Now, loyalty is defined as a strong feeling of support or allegiance. In my growing up days, the 1960s, in the business world, loyalty was everything. The employee worked all their working lives for a business, say, like IBM, and in return, the company was loyal to the employee. The atmosphere was like a family, and the employee worked until the then-retirement age of 65. And at the end, when retirement loomed, the employee received a thank you and a retirement dinner and the gift of a gold watch. I mean, loyalty back then was a thing. Nowadays, we have job jumpers all over the place. Whenever an employee believes a better opportunity lay elsewhere, they think nothing of hopping over to it. Now, okay, it's normal to seek a better opportunity, but few people realize the heavy financial investment a business makes in an employee to train them, pay them, insure them, offer benefits to them. Thoughtless departures for transitory better opportunity is sadly now normal in this new millennium. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics reports that the number of jobs held during a lifetime for a younger baby boomer, you know, born between 1957 and 1964, that would be me, has greatly increased. On average, men will have 12 and a half jobs, whereas women will have 12 jobs over their working lifetime. It used to be just a few jobs somebody would hold all their life, like three or four. On the other hand, loyalty from the company to the employee has also diminished. Too often we tragically read of middle managers being fired while top managers reap financial rewards with fat salaries and cushy benefits, or long-term employees being fired just before tenure is available or just as retirement looms. Now, in friendship, loyalty often evaporates too. When the chips are down, people you thought were your friends are nowhere to be found. Paul said that his friends had deserted him. In 2 Timothy 4.16, he said, At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. Barnes Notes says of the 2 Timothy 4.16 verse, quote, No man stood with me. Now, Paul had many friends in Rome. 2 Timothy 4.21 compare Romans 16, but it seems they did not wish to appear as such when he was put on trial for his life. 
they were doubtless afraid that they would be identified with him and would endanger their own lives. Now, it should be said that some of the friends of the apostle mentioned in Romans 16 and who were there when that epistle was written may have died before the apostle arrived there or in the trials to which they were exposed may have left the city. Still, it is remarkable that those who were there should have left him on so trying an occasion. To forsake a friend in the day of calamity is not uncommon, and Paul experienced what thousands before him and since have done. Thus, Job was forsaken by friends and kindred in the day of his trials. See this pathetic description in Job 19, 13 to 17. He hath put my brethren far from me, and mine acquaintance are estranged from me. My kinsfolk have failed, my familiar friends have forgotten me. They that dwell in my house and my maids count me for a stranger. I am an alien in their sight. I called my servant and he gave no answer. I entreated him with my mouth. My breath is strange to my wife, though I entreated for the children's sake of my own body. Continuing with Barnes, thus the psalmist was forsaken by his friends in the time of calamity, too, and thus the Savior was forsaken in his trials. The world is full of instances in which those who have been left overtaken by overwhelming calamities have been forsaken by professed friends and have been left to suffer alone. That's the end of the Barnes notes, remarking on Paul's pitiful verse in 2 Timothy about how his friends had deserted him. No one was there to support him. Now, on the plus side, we do read in the Bible of great loyalty. You know, I think of Eliezer, Abraham's servant. They were close. Abraham was so sure of Eliezer's loyalty. He gave him lots of gold and sent him abroad to find a wife for Isaac, which he did. Abraham was so sure of Eliezer's loyalty that he knew it would continue even after Abraham had passed away, because he considered Eliezer his heir. Ruth's loyalty to Naomi was such that Ruth stuck with Naomi, even though Naomi was sour, difficult, and traveling to a new place under a new-to-Ruth God. Jonathan was loyal to David under extremely adverse circumstances. Now, to change the subject just a little bit, I want to talk about social capital. Now, social capital is real. It's the value of the positive relationships that are shared among a people in a group. And it's founded on trust, reciprocity, mutual understanding through committed relationships. Now, I don't mean just love relationships where social capital exists, but it does in workplace relationships, friendships, relations among like club members or sports teams. It's about human sociability, our ability to work together 
and solve complex problems. And these form the groups that make up society. People accumulate social capital by investing in people, by listening, by caring, by being involved. An example of social capital is like if you borrow tools from your neighbor or a cup of sugar and he borrows them from you, your social capital has been established because your relationship is based on trust and reciprocity. Some people have more social capital than others, and these people are regarded as, you know, the pillars of society. And these folks are seen as trustworthy, that's relational capital, or wise, that's intellectual capital, or useful, you know, they have some kind of expertise. Have you ever noticed when a group is together, say, trying to solve a problem or they're brainstorming? Everyone's gabbing all at once. But when one certain person begins to speak, everyone stops to listen to them. These people are the ones that have a great amount of social capital. But what happens if something destroys the person's reputation and reduces their social capital? I'm going to quote from a UK um source. Um, Hold on, let me find a name. UK source called socialcapitalresearch.com. Quote, social capital can very easily be destroyed. It can take a long time to build social capital through repeat positive actions and interactions, but it can be destroyed by one single action. Generally, social capital is lost or destroyed by anything that reduces feelings of goodwill or disrupts a network, like an action that is social, antisocial. Anything that makes people feel less social, sharing, giving, or caring toward their fellow humans. And these actions could be things like a betrayal of trust or selfish act violence or threat of violence or deceit or deception, end quote. Now that is when loyalty is tested. When something happens to destroy someone's social capital, their standing within the group is reduced and you are left with a decision. For example, if a colleague was in hot water with the boss, would you publicly stick with her? Now, I'm talking about hypothetical situations among believers. I mean, we don't expect loyalty from unbelievers. They love the world, like Demas. We often edge away when someone we know has done something antisocial or even just made a social faux pas. We tend not to want to be associated with them, lest our own reputation be damaged too. Think of Paul, all alone in jail. We often speak of Christian persecution or being martyred for the faith or even big lawsuits against us or our business or being jailed, you know, big traumatic things. Those are surely difficult trials, but God has not appointed hard persecution to everyone. But 
Everyone in the faith makes decisions every day that either enhance or hinder our walk. Making these little decisions on how and when to uphold our testimony is the walk. Satan tries to influence us bit by bit to lower our standards where they're important. And eventually these little compromises add up. For example, if you know someone at work or at a club or at some other gathering, even church, has fallen into hot water, you know, do you edge away? Do you decide, hmm, I think I'll walk down the other hallway so I won't run into them and have to talk to them or be seen talking to them? Or I don't want to be seen with them, so I'll make up an excuse to get out of our weekly coffee gathering. I mean, we'd make these little decisions, and it's ridiculously easy to fool our own conscience. But we don't fool God. Not at all. I mean, in secular society, we may have accumulated social capital. We may have accumulated a reputation. But in God's economy, we are all equal at the foot of his cross. And we should love without reservation and through thick and thin. Our loyalty should be steadfast. When we are loyal to our believing friends, our co-workers, our family, we are not only being loyal to them, we are being loyal to the Savior in them. Was it easy for Ruth or Jonathan or Paul's friends to stick with them? Not at all. I mean, in fact, loyalty to Paul must have made more than one of his friends rethink being with him. It's human nature to look to self-preserve, our own self-preservation first. But think about Acts 14, after they dragged Paul out and left him for dead. He rose up and went back into the city, which always cracks me up. But then the next day, Barnabas loyally stuck with Paul, and they both went to Derby. Soon, I believe, we will have to make more and more decisions like these, the little decisions that incrementally impact our walk. Do we compromise it or do we uphold it? We may not all be destined for martyrdom or even going to jail for the name, but as the world's noose tightens, it comes against us in a thousand smaller ways. Will you be loyal to your friend in the face of unpalatable circumstances? Will you visit her in jail? Will you continue to support her in love? even though her reputation suffers badly and yours by association might too? Will you sit with her in the pew? Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That speaks of loyalty. And Barnes' note says of that verse, It's not the multitude of so-called friends that helps us. They may only embarrass and perplex. What we prize is the one whose love is stronger and purer, even than all ties to kindred. 
Proverbs 17.17 says, A friend loves at all times. Will you be a loyal friend to a sinner? Because you are a sinner too. Well, this has been another episode of the End Time Blog Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Prada. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a great day.